You know, we've been in this series on miracles for several weeks now. And um, it began to make me wonder, am I, am I listening? Well, let me qualify. I'm just going to talk this morning. I'm not doing a sermon. Okay. I just speak. Yeah. You can toss it out or do what you want with it. And uh, I will not be offended. I am unoffendable, mostly. Um, and I've, I've been wondering, you know, I, I keep hearing these miracles that Jesus did. And I'm saying, okay, am, am I participating in these or am I a spectator in what's going on? And it's so easy to come in and hear a great message about an amazing miracle done by a, a, an amazing God and treat it almost like a movie and then go home and have lunch and not think about it again. And what I realized, and maybe you have this problem too, is I tend to blame God more than I celebrate him something didn't go right or I wish this would have been different um, and when I looked at started looking at all the miracles because I'm, I'm just doing a broad thing here I've got this sheet that uh, Pastor Tim printed out for us that has them all listed out which makes you look really smart because you can look it up and find out where it is and uh, when you look at them all it co they cover every area of life basically he covered the physical healings for, you know, lepers, paralytics, lame people walking, blind, healed. He covered spiritual things when he cast out demons and took care of all the spiritual cares. But he also um, took care of the natural world. He walked on water. He calmed a storm. He got taxes out of a fish's mouth. Which I'd like to believe for that. <laughs> Miraculous catching of fish, a fig tree that he cursed, all natural things. And so he performed miracles in every area, whatever God told him to do. And then I realized that, that miracles are based on authority. Who has authority? And the Father has all authority. And he gave it to Jesus. And he did all the, all the miracles. And you know that the, the enemy, our enemy, has a legal right to this world right now. That's why we're in such a mess. Now, when Jesus came, it opened the door for us to come back into the plans and purposes of God, to be reconciled with him, to join him in ex exposing the enemy and building the kingdom here on earth until he comes back. And so that same authority that Jesus had, I can now have. I don't walk in it, but I can have it. Or I do have it. I'm just not using it the way it should be used. And, it, and if... None of those were full sentences, were they? <laughs> you, ever have, you ever have a thought that comes through? A good one. It, it was a good thought. Right when I was getting ready to say something, and then I thought, well, the thought's better than what I was going to say, but then I lost them both. So, <laughs> sorry about that. 
probably won't be the last time. Clearly, the Father gave that authority to Jesus, and when Jesus left, he gave it to us. But there is no formula. There's, there's nothing you, where you go, so I'm going to do this today and this tomorrow, and I'm going to jump on one foot, and then God's going to do this, and everything's going to work out fine. Because sometimes they had great faith, and sometimes they had none. And we heard Tim preach about the Syrophoenician woman, and the demon left because of her answer. Jesus never did say go. Um, there was a town where he couldn't do miracles because of their lack of faith. And then we have a boy that's healed and a father who says, help me in my unbelief. So there's no formula that you can just, you know, and, and we do this a lot. You know, we try to come up with a nice, easy way to make it work. I just need more faith. Well, if you don't have it, how do you get more? You know, unless you're experiencing him. And yet I don't see that many miracles. I don't know about you. And whatever, he, whatever Jesus did is to provoke me to do the same. He's my example. He can't be my example if I can't do what he did. That wouldn't be fair. So the way he lived was to show me a way to live. Dependent on his father. He only did and said what God showed him and did. And that's all he did. And he continued to show us that this authority now covers the physical, the spiritual, and the natural. And there's nothing that you can't do if God has spoken it. The question is, has he spoken it? And that's where, I think for me, it's where a lot of the issues come. Um, for me to be provoked to do what he did, I've got to live like he lives, which is dependent on the Father and waiting on him to tell him what he wants him to do. And then I... I reflected back and realized that most of the time where, where we break with him is we allow circumstances to derail us. In other words, we, we think it's supposed to be better or different. So I'm about ready to lose my brother-in-law to cancer any day. And those circumstances can make me pull back away from what Jesus is telling me. That doesn't mean everyone's going to get healed. doesn't mean anything. Except he provokes me to be like him, which is to get the word of the Lord for him, for my brother-in-law, whatever it is, and deliver it. And it could be healing or it could be no. There's plenty of places in the Bible, John the Baptist being one, where he didn't get healed. Circumstances did not change. They kept just exactly the way it was. And in the Old Testament, uh, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember that story? I think if it, what is it in Veggie Tales? It's Benny. <laughs> yeah, that's about the limit of my movie knowledge. 
Um, but, you know, they were bound. First, they, first, when the king talks to them, says, well, I'm going to have to put you in the fire. And they're like, well, we don't even need to talk to you about this, really, king. We're not going to bow. We're not going to worship you. Our God can deliver us from the fire, but he for sure will deliver us from your hands. So let's get on with it. They had already figured it. Now, if it was us or if it was me, I'd be like, let's, let's don't do this fire thing. <laughs> let's do something else, you know, ground me or do something, but not the fire. And yet they didn't say a word. And here's the point. God doesn't always change the circumstances because that is what we want. He gets in there with us. And we get a greater revelation of who he is in the circumstances. And they did. If you remember, the king looks in there and goes, didn't we throw three in there? And he said, I see four walking around. Or Daniel in the lion's den. He didn't change the circumstances for him either. And so when I allow circumstances to uh, dictate how I view God, I cut off half of his involvement in my life, especially if he's not going to change the circumstances. And he comes in there with me, and I get a greater revelation of who he is, and the next time the circumstances change, I'm not tempted as quickly to bail and to find a new, a new thing. I'm also not as quick to blame him. And then I get to know him in a way that I would never would have known him had he changed the circumstances, where I can learn to trust him in a way that I can say, take my life, it doesn't matter. It's yours, I'm supposed, we're supposed to be dead. We're supposed to be empty. And it's all about him. It's not ever been about us. The things he provided us to come back to the Father were for his glory, not mine. And the way I live and follow him determines my expression of how I can show him to the rest of the world. Because the more I take of him, the more I look like him, the less you see of me. And then, here we go again. When Stephen was stoned, he didn't change those circumstances. And you know, Stephen never had to forgive the people who killed him. He never was offended. He went immediately to intercession because he looked up and saw the king standing there and he said, just forgive them. They're clueless. And it, and, and it wasn't in a way that made him angry. It was in a way that allowed Jesus' compassion to come out. And, you know, when they were killing him, and I, I remember Tim was teaching on what this was. It wasn't like just throwing rocks. <clears throat> they had to hear him ask God to forgive them. And that left a seed, hopefully, in them. That's... To the last breath he had, he was showing the kingdom and showing the king who's merciful and loving and kind and long-suffering and almost sounds like the Boy Scout law, which I'm not going to say it, but I know it. He's good. 
And of course, the most quoted one was, is Paul. I beseech the Lord three times that he would take it from me. And he said, no. And then what does Paul say? Then I'll glory in my weakness because his grace is sufficient. And we've had lots of teaching on grace here. And probably the best rendition is that grace is an empowerment. It allows you to go through what you have to go through. So when I have to go do my brother-in-law's funeral here, whenever it is, there will be a grace that comes that allows me to walk in his power to show his love, compassion, and kindness to a hurting family. And it will, and it, it will get in, but it won't take over. I'll be able to stand. And it won't be a problem. It'll be sad. First Peter 2.20, and again, we're still in circumstances. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Now listen to the rest of this verse. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. I don't like that second half. <laughs> what he's trying to teach us is that the grace you need to go through the circumstances you're in is right there. All you have to do is receive it. And then nothing can take you. If, if, I, if I give up my life, no one can take it. So I willingly make it an offering to him to do whatever he wants to with me. Of course, I say that now and I'm not in the middle of, I mean, I'm up here in a really nice church, but uh, there will be a day maybe. You know, and as we're, as we're studying these miracles, it's not just an academic lesson. It's a preparation. If, if you cannot walk outside and not know that the world's falling apart. And every time that you encounter people and a miracle happens, it changes more than just them. It changes everybody that's watching. And then food begins to multiply and um, whatever, clothes don't wear out. And the other miracles that Jesus did or that God the Father did in the Old Testament. <clears throat> I was in, uh, talking to some friends in Kiev and they, uh, they, the cook said, it's, it's a miracle. We fed 100 people with 10 pounds of pasta. And she said, we still had some left over. Wow. And there's no way you can do that, really. I mean, unless you give everybody like that much. And uh, she, was, she was astounded. I was astounded. I'm like, really? Are you sure? You sure it wasn't 10 kilos? <laughs> it wasn't. But the thing is, I should begin to expect that. And when I expect that, I've got to stay close enough to him that his power comes through me and doesn't destroy me. Which means that my level of power has to be much less than my level of commitment and devotion to him. Otherwise, it will destroy me. And I'll write a book about it and start a big ministry and get a big boat. No, I won't.
He said we will do greater things. But you can't do it unless you're connected to the source of life. So whatever, whatever circumstances you're in now, you can bring him into it. Don't try to fix it and then hand it back to him. And say, well, I made it through there. Here you go. No, he said, bring me into it. And not only will you get through it, you'll shine through it. And everyone will notice. There will be no mistake who has the power. And we all know it's not us. But we have a God who is so benevolent and so good that even when we never deserve it, he gives it. Because it's the goodness of God that should lead men to repentance. Not the judgment. That's after you die. So he doesn't always change circumstances. Um, we're in a different kingdom. And Jesus asked three times that he wouldn't have to die. And, and what did God say? Nope, we're going through it. And it's, it, it's not sinful to ask for a different way. It's sinful to be disobedient. Once you know what way. And just because it's not comfortable doesn't mean anything. Comfort is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the American spirit. Or the Western spirit. I don't see many people in Africa that fight, that talk comfort. Even though that's all of our natural tendency is to want comfort. And what happens is, is um, circumstances lead you to faulty belief systems. I prayed for them, they died. Now what? I believe, help my unbelief. I use that one. We all do because it gets me off the hook. My lack of faith, just, you know, he put it there. Help my unbelief. It's, I know that he can do it, but I'm not sure he will for me. And it builds a stronghold in your mind of a way of thinking that goes against the word of God and completely blocks off sections of scripture that you have access to in power. And we stand there and we get picked off by the enemy because we don't know what we're doing. We lose. You know, I am, if I'm in him, I am, I don't even know if this is a word, undefeatable. He can't, the enemy can't do anything. God can do anything he wants, and I'm not in the way with either. But what happens is I pull, I, I, I pick and choose where, when I want to be with him, when I want to be with others, when I want to do something important, when I want to do something frivolous. <clears throat> and I realized that my devotion to him was suffering because of my activity for him. Because I'm a minister. So my quiet times went, what used to be rich and fun, went to legalism. 
have a quiet time. I made it, sometimes I made it a good three minutes. And I always try to find a really good scripture to read. You know, not Deuteronomy or anything like that, but go to the New Testament, look for some red writing. And, uh, but it does. It, it, you, you build a way of living that makes you think you're safe. And that's why I believe so many people walk in fear because they're living in a glass house. They've built this thing to, to cocoon themselves from the world. And so they're just waiting for somebody to throw a rock and down it comes. And I know, I know for me, it, it's the way it is. I don't do well with prosperity. Actually, I sometimes think I can't stand prosperity because every time I prosper, I do dumb things. Because I need, I need to be dependent. Now, I do need to mature so I can enjoy things and still be dependent. But in general, if things are going really well, my natural tendency is to stray away from him. Not like I'm leaving him. But, you know, we got this thing wrapped up pretty good and you're pretty nice most of the time, so I'll just take it from here. And then I'll run into a, you know, a weed patch or a bunch of briars and come running out. I can't believe you didn't stop that. Change my circumstances. Um, faulty belief systems are built by a continual trusting in yourself and, and wanting your circumstances to be better. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was little, which I was at one point, <laughs> between first and second grade, I had asthma so bad that if I walked off of my front porch, I couldn't get back on. And they would have to come carry me onto the porch again. And uh, for a whole summer, uh, which left me really nervous to go anywhere. And I fought that all the way through middle school. Because I had outgrown it, but every time I was doing a sport, I knew at any time I could collapse. I'm not going to be able to breathe. I think that's got to be one of the worst things because I experienced that. So for me, it's the worst thing. You just can't breathe. You can't get air in. You can't get it out. And back then, we didn't have those rescue inhalers that they have now. It was some kind of red syrup I had to take. But what it did was I never considered anything except that. So it built in me a belief system that I could never really breathe normally or I couldn't play sports or I couldn't do anything because of my experience. Your experiences and your circumstances cannot be what dictates how you, how you live. Amen. And, just, and we've all been hurt. And it's not a question of if you're hurt or when. It's, it's a question of when and what are you going to do with the hurt. Okay. If you're just going to give it back to him and, and go on. Or are you going to roll around and, and let it destroy your belief systems? Because every, everything that I'm missing from what Jesus did for me and what he has promised me has been taken from me by me. He didn't take it from me. He's never going to. He says, I promise, I'm never leaving you or forsaking you. And then we go, where'd you go? And he's like, uh, nowhere. I'm right here. 
I've been here the whole time. So what happens is I, I, I hear the promise, I let my circumstances steal the promise, and I give up what he had intended for me. And then I blame him because it didn't work out the way I thought it should. You can see what a convoluted mess that can be. And you wonder why we have people that go from church to church to church and they take their hurt with them and then they, they deposit it there and then they get frustrated there. And, you know, it's one of my favorite sayings is wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> Profound, I know. <laughs> it's like, you know, and to be honest, there's some that have come through and have been like, don't you want to take that somewhere else? Just go ahead. What can I do to make you upset? So in, in Luke, Lazarus and the rich man, at the end of the rich man asked Abraham to send someone to his brothers to warn them. <clears throat> and you know what Abraham said? He said, if you don't believe by what's already been given to you, you won't believe even if someone raises from the dead. So we have everything we need to believe for everything he wants for us already. We don't need another thing except to believe him and to act like it and to take a risk. So when I'm, when I'm talking, I'm going to throw out this question. Don't answer it. Think about it. Are you a skeptic? Are you an evaluator? Are you listening to every word I say and then deciding whether it's right or wrong? Or if I should say it differently? Whatever it is. Because <clears throat> if you are that, you're, you're already missing. I screw up the language all the time. But you don't have to hear it. The Holy Spirit will go, go right through it. You ever looked at one of those sheets where the words are all mixed up, or the letters are all mixed up, but you can read it just... <clears throat> That's kind of what it's like. The Holy Spirit will take my gibberish and tell you something important about it. And it'll be great. And I won't see my name on Facebook, which would be really great. Actually, I don't really. And I've never gotten a bad email either. And I told Shannon that. He says, because they're afraid. <laughs> which means he probably knows somebody that would do that, but he's not telling me. <laughs> of course we should be discerning but not critical because criticalness builds bad belief systems it makes you think you're the best elevates you it's called pride and as soon as you enter pride you lose all grace which means you're on your own according to the book of James he gives grace to the humble resists the proud and it's not just a ignore it's a resist because that's what brought everything down was pride. He hates it. Just like he hates sin. And there's a, there's a huge difference between loving God or needing him. We all need him. That's not loving him. So I'm going to ask you, do you love him or do you need him? Only.
How do we know that we love him? This is Sunday school stuff. I know you know it. Do what he says. There's a star. <laughs> the high performers are always on the front. <laughs> Do what he says. Are you obeying the Lord? You can answer that one if you want. Because if you're not, you don't love him. You only need him. And the enemy is always looking to find out, do you love him or do you just need him? And the edge that he'll take you to will reveal exactly what's inside you. And you'll know then, but it might be a little late. And I'll throw in a C.S. Lewis quote, just in case it's, you know, time for raises. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, um, and I, I think it's in the problem of pain, and he said, in a crisis, what comes out of a man is what's already in there. There's no time then to prepare. Now is our time to prepare. Now is our time to deal with wrong beliefs. Now is our time to deal with circumstances that aren't good. But sort them out properly. Don't blame him. Don't He's not done anything except save you and help you and been with you. And when Jesus got on the cross, all he had was his father's word that he would raise him. And I know that because right before he died, he says, why have you forsaken me? the ultimate trust. Every miracle Jesus performed at the Father's instruction prepared him for the greatest miracle of all, which was the Father raising him. Everything that has happened in your life, whether you recognized it as a miracle or not, starting with salvation, has prepared you for this time in your life. If we don't get a grasp on that, you will get left behind. Not because he's mad, you just won't be able to keep up. And it all comes out of obedience, it all comes out of love and death. I'm dead. And when it does, <laughs> it's the third time half a sentence just left. <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit's like, no, don't say that. No, don't say that. Oh my goodness. So he's prepared, everything he's done in your life has prepared you for this season of your life, whatever that is. So if you need to repent and say, hey, I forgot you, sorry. He'd be like, that's okay. I knew you forgot me, but I forgive you. And he gets you back in the plans and purposes. Whatever you want in your life, just choose it. And I'm not talking about name it and claim it or easy believism. What I'm saying is if you want the presence of God and the miracles operating in your life, choose that and pay the price to get that. And you'll, of course, have less friends because the closer you get to them, the less people want to go with you because it's painful. And we were all...
created to hear his voice. You don't need me to come to you and tell you what God's saying to you. If you do, you're dull. And bad beliefs cause dull ears. So you, you don't hear. Here, here's an interesting verse, John 12, 29. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it, this was God speaking to Jesus, said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. They all heard the same thing. For one group, it sounded like a storm coming. For another group, it sounded like angels. You, you hear what you expect to hear. If you're not expecting to hear from God, you're not going to hear from him. But he's speaking. Can you imagine his frustration? When he's talking to you and you're ignoring him? Or like my prayer life that sometimes is 80% me talking and 20% eating. <laughs> sometimes 5% listening. Sometimes I pray, just totally total disclosure here. Sometimes I pray and don't want the answer. Because I already know it. I just don't want to hear it again. So you can hear the same people, two people can hear the same thing and pick up totally different things. And you were all created to hear his voice. I think I used this um, illustration uh, several months back. Uh, there was a movie called Free Burma Rangers where the leader went into Iraq and he met the Iraqi general and, uh, who's Muslim and he said, can I pray? And God, uh, the guy said, sure. And so he heard God say, get on your knees. And he said, God, I can't do that. I'm going to look like a nutcase. And th but then he says this, he goes, but I knew that voice. And he, and he dropped down. When he got done praying, the general came to him and said, you can go anywhere in my country you want because I can tell that you love God and love people. And so they've had a great relationship ever since. But you've got to know the voice to be able to hear the voice. And there's only one way back, and that's with intimacy. Being intimate with the Lord. Is his value more than your discomfort? Our relationship to him will not be very good if we're not as committed as, to him as he is to us. <clears throat> Which means it's time, talking, listening, honesty. Jeremiah 33.3 is one of my favorite verses. He says, draw close to me and I'll tell you things you didn't even know to ask me that he wants to share those things with you and with me. But it's not going to happen apart from intimacy. And it's not a must-do or a, a what-to-do thing. It's an uh, intimacy is an indicator of your, what you value. And it's always a process of dis discovery. <laughs> and that's what he wants. He wants you to discover him. And he makes it easy. It's, 
or he makes it simple. Sometimes it's not so easy. To seek him. Value, value creates obligation. If I value you, I have an obligation to you. If I don't value you, there's no obligation. So if I truly value him, it takes it from doing to being, and I am obligated in the relationship to build it stronger and tighter uh, so that it doesn't go away. You know, right now is the time to dig your well deep because there'll be a day where we don't have this much time and you're going to have to pull on the deposit that's in you. But if you can't recognize that deposit, if I have a, a bank account that I don't know about, I can't get anything out of it. So I dig my well deep now through intimacy so that my bad beliefs get exposed. My circumstances no longer have any control over me and I can expect him to do miracles. It's not me doing the miracle. It's him. He just wants me to be positioned to do it for him. And then I'll giggle and know it wasn't me at all. Just like you do. Remember, he's your example. My activity, like I said earlier, can't outweigh my devotion. Or it's not going to go very far. I'm not going to let life trick me out of what Jesus did. It's never, it's never been, nor will it ever again be about me. And you all have free reign. If you think I'm making it about me, come and tell me. Don't let me stay there. And I've been through a season in the last couple of years where I found all kinds of crud. See, I am a new creature. But when you detach from him, everything that you were is ready and willing to take you back at a moment's notice. And it cannot get you unless you make it available. And so all of a sudden you start having old thoughts, old habits come back. You're wondering what's going on. You get, then you know what's really weird is you get jealous of others who are doing well because they just don't know what you're going through. <laughs> if they were in my hill, they wouldn't be doing this good. And he takes all the life, the enemy gets all of your life. And you're totally useless. Because I've lost the value of who he is. Which means I don't have an ongoing obligation. You know, Jesus, when he was, remember when the disciples were trying to cast out a demon and uh, they couldn't do it. And Jesus, he was frustrated with them. And then he said, this kind only comes out by prayer or prayer and fasting in some versions. When did he pray? Seems like he just walked in there and he got hit with the the lack of whatever by the father. And he just, he got smat at the disciples, turns around, takes care of the demon. Then he talks to them privately and said, well, that kind only comes out by prayer, but he didn't pray. He did it probably the night before or that early that morning. And that, that's the key. 
we have to be so intimate with him that he's talking to us about our day. Because when you see a face in your quiet time and you see them at Walmart, your faith goes because you expect him to do what he's already shown you he wants to do. Jesus only did what the Father was doing and what he showed him. But he didn't heal everybody. We have to be about his plans and purposes and on task with him to be able to do what we got to do. The gospel and the cross is everything God originally intended, which is life, miracles. It's another kingdom that we're invading a bad kingdom. And we're doing it with love, not anger. And in the process, people are seeing our Jesus. He says, you lift me up, I'll draw him. You don't have to draw him. And he takes care of all that. That authority that he gave to Jesus, gave it to us when he left. And as we continue to go through this series on miracles, which I think we'll be going for a while if we go through all the miracles, could be till next year. But as we do that, our expectations should be going up. I don't want to sit in here and just say that was a great message that doesn't change me. I love the messages, but I can turn them off too, just like that. I can, I can walk out of here and in 30 minutes, no effect, if that's what I want. What I'm saying is I don't want that anymore. I want to hear the message. I want to live the message. I want to be aware of his presence every day, all day, every choice, every thought, bring it captive, begin to walk that out. And then as you grow, you'll experience him in ways you didn't even know he existed. And we will see miracles happen. And our lives should be a, a billboard to that, really. Do you know the, if you ever look on, on the, YouTube, most of you don't, I'm sure. Um, and watch the, the, the ministers that have a miracle ministry. Crowds flock to them. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I, I have no idea what their heart motivation is. Their anointing is for miracles. And they, people flock to it. I promise you, if we get this right, and we start seeing these miracles in here and out on that street, they will flock to us. And then we can tell them about Jesus. Then when they do that, when we do that, they will see a representation of him, not my idea of what he's like. It will really be him. And they will not be able to get away from that. So, what I'd like to do now to see if I got anything else I need to say. I wonder if those three sentences are gonna come back like in order. I don't think so. I think those are already in the trash pile. <laughs>